is happening, everybody? Welcome to Off the Rails, a recovery podcast dedicated to ending the stigma of addiction through open discussion on all things recovery related. My name is Mark. With me always are Dave and Jared. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, we have Jessica Compton, founder of Tree of Stars on Tour. Um, she's joining us today, and we're very thankful to have her here. Thank you very much, Jessica, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a, a great pleasure to be uh, to be here. Thank you so much, Jessica. Usually, what we do is have our guests on, and just you know, it's kind of uh, the floor is open to you to kind of share your your story and where you want to start, um, and uh, how much detail you want to get into is completely up to you. And um, you know, we'll uh, jump in with a couple questions here and there, but uh, other than that, the uh, floor is all yours. Kind of get into. Yeah, so I like to, um, again, thank you so much for having me. Um, I like to go back and say that my story started um, as far as I can remember. So um, I remember up until, uh, you know, age four or five, um, I, uh, I'll start with all the bad stuff first. <laughs> I guess all the, uh, you know, the bad stuff, life experiences, you know, the layers of the onion, the, the trauma. So um, I was uh, taken away from my parents uh, when I was four. Um, there was some partying going on, um, you know, some uh, just not so good situation where there was um, different types of abuse going on. So uh, the system had come in, taken my sibling and I, placed us in a couple different foster homes. Um, and after a year, uh, my father had got uh, custody of both my, my sister and I, and we moved up north. So we were born and raised down in Stony Creek, Hamilton area, and we were brought up to North Bay. And when we were brought up north uh, to North Bay, there was um, a different lifestyle, I guess, or um, culture, religion. We were brought to the reserve and my dad had married an indigenous lady. And um, so I was living the culture um, and learning about what smudging was, learning what the creator was, and then also hopping onto a bus, going to a Catholic school, learning about the Bible. And um, then there was some situations in my household where, um, so I guess heads up trigger warning, uh, for anybody that's listening. Um, so there was a night of partying, everybody, you know, had went to sleep, I was out in the middle of the country and in my home. Uh, there was a, a man who came in uh, to our house in my bedroom, uh, had taken me uh, for a couple hours brought me to his car. I was in the middle of the night, it was raining, it was dark. Uh, I remember, I actually remember a part where my body like froze and uh, kind of blacked out. Uh, so after the sexual assault, he brought me back in the house, put me back in my bed and left. And um, my my sister at the time, she um, went downstairs, got my dad. They, you know, brought me to the hospital. I was checked out. Um, so fast forward, I started having behaviors. Uh, I was I was um, wetting to bed. I started acting out. You know, they I, I mean, I had a therapist. I was diagnosed in grade two as well with ADHD. Um, and I think with all these behaviors of not knowing where my mom was, you know, being in, in different cultures, religions, just all this stuff going on. there was a little bit of trauma as well with, um, my stepmother. Um, so I guess you could say that I had a lot going on, but I, I really didn't understand it. And, you know, I'm 45 years old. So back then, um, there was still some questions of, you know, why I had behaviors such as, as bullying and, uh, so fast forward, I guess I'm, I'm uh, just, uh, you know, in and out of foster homes. Uh, I was taken out of my home again. 
so I mean, throughout the years, I, I, I always had something going on. I was setting a fire. I was uh, stealing. I was lying. I was, you know, spitting on kids. I was just a wreck and they just couldn't understand where it was coming from, what was going on. I mean, I can go through the list of like mental abuse, sexual abuse. Um, I was always, um, you know, anywhere I went, I was also like in a position where I was molested and uh, by foster parent, by a neighbor, by, you know, my dad's friend, like there was always something going on. So by age 12, I was smoking cigarettes. I was like, you know, full, full inhaling. And I got into the uh, marijuana, started drinking, um, started getting into pills, uh, started getting into mixing, you know, mixing with the pills and the alcohol. And um, then my dad just kicked me out. He's like, you know what, you're not following the rules, get out. So I was 15 years old. I was on the streets, you know, hopping from couch to couch. There was days where I didn't have anywhere to sleep. So I'd just stay up and, and just roam the streets. Uh, I got arrested. My first arrest, I was 15. Um, they sentenced me. So I, um, I did three months in young offenders. Uh, and when I got out, I was on probation, breached the probation. I went back. Um, so I, uh, I got arrested four times and I got sent away every single time. The last time I was uh, 18, so it was adult. Um, so I did some adult time. And then I was like, you know what? I need to grow up. I need to, I need to uh, get my shit together. I need to, um, no one's going to sit here and take care of me. But I mean, let me reflect for a second on the correctional part of rehabilitation. If it wasn't for, you know, corrections sending me to um, rehabilitate, to uh, learn about why, or what trauma was, learning about my ADHD and what I could do, learning about what being clean is, or, you know, um, giving myself life again, and figuring out where to go. So I thank the correctional system for sending me every, every time. And then I went back to call, uh, went to high school, finished at age 21, went to college to be a correctional officer. So I got my diploma there. Um, and it was super cool. Uh, you know, I, I um, knew the system. So some of the case management work that I did in, in, in college, it was super easy. And then, uh, yeah, it kind of brings me to today. But before I close up, you know, my success, um, and what I've been doing for the last since I was 19, 21, yeah, 21. Um, if there's any questions about, you know, me being arrested, what, you know, corrections was like, I mean, um, Again, I, I had mentioned that I was I was molested many times. I was raped once. There was just I call it a, a nasty onion, and there was so many layers with it. And it, you know, if you leave an onion sitting, like it, it just sit, it stinks, right? So I think I was kind of like this nasty onion just sitting there, and I and I and I didn't I I wasn't educated enough, or people weren't educated around me to figure out what's next or what's going on, right? So yeah, I'm open for any questions of the. The, or comments for the story and then I'll move forward uh Jessica um so we've like had guests on and uh they've been to prison and they're like as addicts and stuff but you hear of stories where they're like sent to prison not being and it's not like a rehabilitation at all and then you just get sent back out on the street so I found it kind of interesting that you were sentenced or that they had a rehabilitation program that you were a part of I was just if you could like add on that part yeah so I think because uh so I had a, a lady that I knew when I was seven she was my therapist 
years and years, but um, I think she had some advocacy, a part of, you know, as a young offender to keep me safe and to say, yes, sentence her. She's got nowhere to go. Um, but again, I'm 45. So looking back, you know, the funding was there, but also, um, you know, the fourth or sorry, the third time I got arrested, they said, we're going to give the decision to you if you want to do six months secure custody, or you can do three months rehab. And I was like, I'm taking the rehab. And when I went to the rehab, though, it was, um, it was way out in the country. Uh, there was some nurses there, some doctors, there was like some really good, good structured people and educated people. Um, you know, I was only allowed to have five cigarettes a day. Whereas if I went to young offenders custody, they were allowing me to have, you know, as many cigarettes as I wanted kind of thing. So I think this was, you know, the first time where it was like, we're, 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 we're going to stand in front of you and, and you need to be honest with yourself. So there was a lot of um, emotional demons that had come out throughout this rehabilitation piece because I had to go into groups and talk and, and really share. Um, whereas like young offenders custody, I never really had to share my feelings. You could do your time and get out. Um, so rehabilitation and giving me that choice to be like six months, they kind of manipulated me. Because I was like, six months, I'm going to go do this three months. But because I did that three months, it was more of a therapy to it. So, um, and, and what I was eating, my physical movement, uh, you know, um, there was a spiritual side to it too. So I had a question about kind of uh, going back to childhood a little bit. And, um, you know, you said when you were young, they were trying to figure out your behavioral issues. And you said you had a therapist. Uh, were you open with, did, did everyone know kind of the history of the abuse, the sexual abuse? Uh, did you open up about that kind of right away or, cause it seems like that'd be kind of an obvious thing to, to see why you're, you know, the behavioral issues were there. Yeah. And I think there was also this, um, you know, even with the bullying, I would see like, you know, a kid get dropped off and mom and dad hugging the child. And I'd be like, that's my target kind of thing. Like, why does he get a mom and dad uh, or like the norm? Or why does he get a really good lunch? Like, it's almost like I was um, jealous of other people's lives. I mean, I was only in grade two, grade three. And because I was always getting traumatized by something, I, I didn't really have like an outlet. And because it was continuous, it's like, I didn't even really get a chance to heal from the last piece of trauma. So um you know, and, and with ADHD and the medication, um, I, I, my dad didn't want me on medication. Um, but I was in like art therapy. I was in, um, like I seen some doctors, psychiatrists, um, and there was, you know, PTSD, there was, you know, um, I don't even just with the bullying now that I'm older, I'm like, I literally took my shit out on other people and that's not okay. You know, like spitting on other kids and you know, I'd see a kid with a new outfit on. I'm like, why don't I get a new outfit? And I would like run in a puddle and try to get them all dirty. Or, you know, I was, I was setting kids lockers on fire. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I look back and I'm like, I was just wild. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, those, those demons in me from the trauma, like I didn't know how to release it. And I, I think because there is, there was a moment too, where they didn't put me in a regular foster home anymore. Um, they put me into a treatment center where I was, with foster parents that were fully trained and, um, you know, uh, I guess on a deeper level. So I kept also running away. So they put me with like 45 minutes into the country. I was like, it's going to take me a long time to run away. So 
and and you know the problem with running away is you got to take all your shit with you so <laughs> um it's uh it's interesting to be 45 though and look back and go oh my gosh like how did I even get out of those dark tunnels um Jessica when you look at say like how the prison system is set up and you look at how you had the choice between you know the six months or the three months of rehabilitation um do you think that there could be a better way to set up, say, for people with like drug-related offenses, say like non-violent uh, drug-related crimes? Do you think a more rehab approach is appropriate? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, with, with just going to do any kind of time, you're not really forced to do any kind of activity. Like it's like, here's your time and, and just do it. Whereas if you're in rehabilitation, there's kind of like this reinforcement of um, we're going to get down to the pit of this onion and figure out what's going on. Because as many of us know, there's, I don't think, you know, I don't know if there's a lot of people like, I mean, my reason for drugs um, and drug of choice, you know, just to numb anything that was going on. I didn't want to feel because anything that I, I was feeling wasn't on the happy side of the rainbow. It was like, it's all dark stuff. Why do I want to feel alone and lonely? And, and just, you know, why did these people do these things to me? So I didn't want to feel anything. So I think with the rehabilitation and just getting people to realize that they, I guess that choice of like, do you really want to go dig deep inside? Or do you want to just go to your time and then go reoffend and go back in? Yeah, that is, that is incredible. Um, so you went back to school. Um, can you kind of continue on from there? Yeah, so I uh, went to, uh, finished high school with honors. Uh, I was pretty proud of myself because I was living on my own. I didn't have parents to kind of say, hey, help me with some of my homework. But uh, I pushed through high school and then I went to uh, Niagara College uh, in Welland and uh, graduated from the Correctional Worker Program. Now, the thing is, is I had a criminal record from adult and it was an indictable. So I had to wait uh, seven years uh, until my um, probation was over until I could apply for a, a Canadian pardon. And then it took a three year process. So I didn't actually get into my field until 11 years after my criminal record was clear. And uh, so I worked as a child and youth worker. Uh, it was my first job. And I was there for 15 years working with uh, teenage boys that were highly aggressive. And uh, then I also got transferred over working with uh, six teenage girls, did that for about 15 years. And then um, I yielded into the school board working as an educational assistant. Um, now I work with, um, uh, you know, any types of, you know, children that are um, in crisis and um, many different identities, uh, special needs, behavioral so um, it's my, not my lovely karma, but I feel like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a, like a walking gift because I can literally walk into a classroom and just, um, you know, try and build that rapport quickly as possible, get to the problem, listen to the individual and make a plan together and we're good to go. Yeah, I was watching uh, one of your videos earlier and uh, you were talking about kind of teaching kids life skills and basically like what you were like kind of saying is you were like teaching them how to develop their emotional intelligence. Um, so could you kind of like explain how you go about doing that? And like, say, if we had like a parent listening, how, how can we, you know, get kids to be more connected with their emotions? 
you know what i will just randomly pick something like uh so with adhd um i can't write a test in a classroom with a bunch of kids making noises but i can go into a quiet room and ace a test because i have no distractions so really trying to understand why a, a child doesn't want to sit all day and uh, finding remedies to help that individual. But before we even try to help that individual, it really is listening to that child and maybe asking them, you know, three different ways on what's going on. Because if you've got someone who's four years old or they're always going to want to move around. If you got somebody who's in grade three and he's still not wanting to sit after three or four years and, and the teacher's still saying, sit down, sit down. Well, so these kids are moving around um, and say if somebody's, you know, not hungry in the morning and all of a sudden in the middle of the day, lunch is over and now they're hungry. I, I mean, if, if you've got a diagnosis of, uh, you know, um, maybe somebody's on medication and they don't want to eat in the morning or, so I, I really think that we need to know every individual on a personal level um, and a professional level to help them. Um, it's like if I asked you guys, you know, how are you doing today between one and 10? If you say that you're doing great as a 10, but you know, the guy beside you, he's sitting at a two and I could say, well, why are you sitting at a two? I don't want to talk about it. But what if he's sitting at a two and he does want to talk about it? I need to give him that opportunity. I need to listen. And let me say this three times, listen, 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 because that's where the core is, right? Um, so my, my advice is to parents, teachers, principals, get to the core piece and listen to the individual. And even when we're 85 years old, you know, our grandma could say my back's sore or we're not going to like go and ask her if she wants to go to a Justin Bieber concert where everybody's mingling around. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was perfect. With your experience and, you know, having, you know, dealt with different issues as a, you know, uh, when you were young and now getting into that field of work, uh, you're obviously a huge advocate for those for those kids, because you can understand, uh, as opposed to, you know, some people that might be in the, in that field that don't have that same life experience. Have you done any like mentoring for even for, 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 for not for the kids even, but for uh, teachers and principals and stuff like that to, to really understand kids uh, on that level? Yeah. So I, um, I actually, I was in a CBC article and I had um, one of the opportunities was to, uh, for me to reach out to a couple people that I've worked with teachers, principals, and um, get them to do kind of like a little chat with the reporter on the things that I've done. And again, I, I feel like my, my lived experience um, is a gift for children to become in my presence, because whatever that person's going through, or that child, mostly a child, because that's where I work in the school, but anybody that I come in contact with, um, if I can help them in any way, and give them a shortcut or give them a resource or anything. I'm not perfect in any means, but um, if I can quickly have that conversation with somebody and I can help them in any way, and just to kind of like help out my privacy in a little way with, you know, younger children, I could say like, well, there's somebody I used to know. And then I would share and then I, and, and to kind of give them that, that advice. But at the end of the day, people are going to go through what they, they go through, but I do, you know, support a lot of parents, um, you know, and especially when I was in the group homes for 15 years, working with the boys, trying to get them prepared, you know, you're, you're 18, you're about to move on your own, 
you need to save money before you move out. This is how you cook affordable meals, you know, um, and even if I was driving, I'd be like, yeah, when you go to do your test, you know, you should do this or this or just any little skill set that I can share with, uh, you know, I was a walking parent for them. So um, these are boys that, you know, were in the same situation I was in without a, a parent skill set, right? I think it's uh, super important to get those skill sets, too, because uh, like when I went to school when I was younger, you didn't learn about finances, really, or what to like yeah cook affordably or do any of that like normal stuff right some kids are just thrown out there and don't even know what they're doing so I think like that's a great idea to even have in schools yeah and I think that you know even just explaining to a student now who's like I work in a grade six class explaining to them that you know, for a one bedroom, it's $1,500 to buy new socks and, you know, a new hoodie and a pair of shoes. And then to meal count and say, this is what I can afford for food. So I have to buy this and this to count out your meals. Like if you're only making say 2000, you know, $2,000 a month and like, and, and to find a job that's going to pay you that, that much. So just letting these students know that, you know, I collect items for the homelessness. I go to tent cities and this is what I do. Why are they in tent cities, Miss Compton? Well, because, you know, some of them are situations where maybe they've, you know, dabbled with some drugs or maybe they lost their, their job. Like, so just being real and raw with these students and youth and, and parents and, and sharing those resources, right? Just being real. Jessica, um, so can you kind of tell us about Tree of Stars on tour? Yeah, so um, everything on social media is Tree of Stars. On Instagram, it's Tree of Stars on tour. Um, so I have been involved uh, in many different projects in many different ways. And I've created a link tree for that. Thank God for, for that, because I feel like it. <laughs> so things aren't all over the place. But um, and there's a link in my bio on Tree of Stars. So when it when it birth uh, at the birth of it was um, I went for a hernia surgery on my stomach and the doctor said, no worries, you'll be off for three weeks. Well, during the surgery, I had woken up on the surgery table or drilling no way. And I was like, oh my gosh, worst experience ever. Don't ever work, wake up on the <laughs> surgery table. But yeah, so I, I, um, I was off for five months. I ended up running into pneumonia, running into like infections. It opened up again. So I was off for five months. In that five months, I thought I was, you know, self-caring. I thought I was healed. I thought I went through all the therapies. I thought I was good, but I think just, and I never, ever in my life had this much time to myself. The doctor said, literally, you can't move. You have to sit there. So this was the first time in my life where I, I was sitting with myself. I wasn't working. I wasn't doing therapy. Like I just sat with myself and, um, I started journaling again and, uh, you know, I think with the, the surgery, it kind of, pulled up some old stuff and I wanted to share my story with other people. So I created a cafe tour, went around to different cafes, started doing uh, workshops, created and developed workshops where it was free, uh, still is free to this day. Uh, even with the pandemic, uh, you know, every Wednesday we've got self-care groups. And then when the pandemic happened, I was like, you know what? I still want to uh, support other people, especially musicians. My dad was a DJ. 
Um, I was surrounded by music all the time. I self-taught myself how to play guitar. I, I've always been around music. So I, um, I created a mission statement. I went with it. Um, and it's kind of just grown in different ways organically. So I feel like it's almost like, you know, maybe Google started out in a garage <laughs> and now they're just like, they've taken over. So I feel like Tria Stars is its own thing and it just organically happens. I, um, again, I'm involved in many different things, collecting items for the homeless um, and then interviewing almost 500 people around the world, uh, especially wellness advocates and just um, and, and paying musicians uh, gigs to come into Zooms and, and uh, having them perform their music. Um, and yeah, interviewing artists, just kind of uh, just being myself, really. It's, it's this one place where I can go and support people uh, in, a, in an accessible way as well. So yeah, I, I mean, to kind of condense everything, it's uh, all in the link tree to, to make it a little bit easier. In the same video I was watching, uh, you said something super cool that I loved. Uh, you said self-care and self-love is a continuous process. And uh, that, is, that is awesome. Um, what do you do personally for self-care? So I wake up in the morning um and the first thing I do is uh I use my um it's, it's a gratitude journal and uh, then I do probably a good 10 minutes of reading um and when I read it's different books of all sorts I've uh I, I've got a list if, if anybody's interested in messaging me on good books Jay Shetty's one of them Louise Hayes um one that I'm reading right now the guy's a surgeon and he said uh I actually don't think I have empathy and his whole book is about him developing empathy, which is super cool. Anyway, I don't want to get off track. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I really try to be mindful on sleep intake of water. I think water is super important. The kid that I work with, we have this thing where we like cheers every 15 minutes to, to cheers our water. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's super awesome. Um, I light sage candles. So even though I was, you know, living on the reserve, I still practice many different religions. And, um, you know, I, I embrace that if it's essential oils, I try to move. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I've been emotionally eating a little bit more than I should in the last two years. So um, that's that continuous self care and self love is reflecting and going, okay, you know what, I need to work on this because I'm not perfect. But um, yeah, I think uh, all the little things, right? Staying connected with people, making sure that, um, you know, that I've got. So one thing I want to share uh, even with you guys is have you ever looked at your phone and there's like a list of phone numbers, like just people. And it just seems like, I don't know, it's kind of like, so what I've done in my life is with my cell phone is I have an A list, a B list and a C list. A list, I'm like, you guys are the top notch people in my life. Like you guys are always there for me. B list, I'm like, meh, you're, you're in my life, but you're not, you're not in my A list for whatever reason. And then my C list, hmm, not really sure why they're there. Um, people from, you know, some, some people from my family are on my C list. <laughs> so I think, you know, setting my own limits and boundaries with who I allow into my life and my energies. Um, yeah, there's probably more, more in my, my daily, but, uh, especially with, um, you know, I do take medication as, as an adult for ADHD, trying to get off my electronics and just only spending a certain amount of time. Um, it's kind of like back in the day with video games. I feel like that's like with social media, right? <laughs> it's funny. It's funny you say that about the A, B and C list. I mean, that's, I really like that. 
idea. Um, and I was just thinking the other day, and I don't know if it has anything to do with now in recovery, not drinking, but I, I did notice myself anyway, um, not really caring so much about contacting certain people that maybe previously I would have, and maybe that was for whatever reason, seeking approval or just to hang out with. And now I'm pretty content. And, you know, if I don't talk to them, I don't talk to them. It's not really a big deal. So I kind of like that though, prioritizing, um, that, that list there. That's kind of cool. Would we yeah, be in I... your list? Would you put us in our <laughs> list please? For sure. Well, I'll put you in my B list and we'll see if you can move to the A list. And you know what? Sometimes we move those people. Like I've had friends in my A list for 20 years and throughout the pandemic, I'm like, you know what? I know people disconnect, but I really feel like this pandemic has allowed us to um, really, really see who gives us purpose, who checks in with us. And we're allowed to be selfish. Don't get me wrong here. I've kind of taken the, the pandemic as, you know, I did way more art than I thought of. And, you know, even just with anything, but I think also when we're looking at social media, I have my TikTok. that's for all my adventures and, you know, anything fun that I'm doing. And then I also have like an Instagram for my photography. I have my other Instagram for my art and I do art uh, only to give it away to somebody for free. So I have these different social media platforms for different types of hobbies um you know and, and it is true uh, be careful who you follow because that news feed if you keep clicking on that negativity stuff and then it, and then it pulls you over there um you know it's that algorithm right so it is it's kind of like doing a purge through all of your social media platforms doing a purge through your phone and um kind of doing a spring cleaning on who serves you purpose that's awesome. That is awesome. Um, Jessica, you also mentioned your Zoom meetings on, uh, on Wednesday nights. They're self-care groups, correct? Yeah. Um, if someone like our listeners were interested in joining, joining the group, how, uh, how did they go about doing that? Yeah. So if you go to Tria Stars on Facebook or on Instagram, Tria Stars on Tour, there is a link. So when you click on that link, you can scroll down to the Zoom uh, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so when they come in, we talk about self-care. We have a couple journal prompts. We do some sharing. It is optional to be on camera or even to share. Um, and then we have a musician that comes in every Wednesday, a different musician from around the world comes in uh, at eight o'clock. They perform a couple songs and then uh, we uh, allow them to stay if they want. We've had some musicians stay, but we do some yoga and meditation. Uh, we have four different meditation and yoga instructors. Um, their links are also in uh, the link tree. Um, and we like to have different instructors because maybe somebody that, you know, you do meditation with, maybe the, you know, doesn't fit you. Um, so they're all different. Um, and then, yeah, we close it up sometimes uh, with a door prize. Um, with the pandemic, we've been able to do uh, a draw every month. And um, if somebody's out of, we have people from, you know, Germany and Australia and all over the place. So um, it's nice uh, with a door prize, if uh, even if we mail them out, you know, a gift card or e-transfer or anything like that. So, and uh, I just have to thank all the restaurants because if you go to a, our website, all the sponsorships are there. Um, they've donated anywhere from cash to help us pay the musicians or for any kind of gift uh, certificates. And during the pandemic, restaurants were not doing so good. So um, those were our main sponsors and still are our main sponsors that help out with uh, the free group. So again, we've been doing it for five years, used to do it out in cafes, but I feel like the Zoom, again, this is an opportunity for people to uh, have this global support for free. 
Absolutely. I had a quick question on, um, I think it was one of your last interviews you did and, um, I listened to it and I may consider going raw vegan. How close <laughs> were you wanting to transition to that when he was talking? And I'm like, man, I'm just thinking I might do this. Right. Um, <laughs> so he's the first, uh, I mean, everything he spoke about, he really knew his stuff and, uh, he's got videos on there, how to kind of like transition yourself from, you know, and, and he's right. Like when we, eat a great big steak, how does our stomach feel? Or if we're eating, um, I, I don't know, too many eggs or, you know, uh, just too many products of that's not organic or fresh. So I definitely agree with him on, you know, the mental health and, and what we're eating. I feel like, you know, it's almost the Jillian Michaels when she used to say what you eat is what you are. And I, <laughs> I'm, I'm living it with the pandemic, you know, I've, I've been, you know, probably eating too much. So, um, definitely, uh, yeah, that guy is super inspirational, though, like with the uh, the purpose, talking about the purpose. And um, I'm actually reading a, a book right now. And I interviewed this this guy, too. The book's called Awake. And if you ever get a chance, it's an easy read, super cheap, 20 bucks on Amazon. And then uh, the guy's name is Evan Sutter. It's a it's a it's a mindful book, but it's all about like the walking, the eating, um, you know, and, and the purpose. Like we're talking about the ABC list, like all of of the stuff it's it's like literally all of the stuff in one little book and um i feel like the kids you know nowadays should have a little book like that and um yeah so i i yeah the vegan are you doing it uh no but i um <laughs> i i do like i'm actually not a huge um and well right now i'm living back home with my parents too so my mom my mom my mommy cooks me meals so i uh whatever she cooks i kind of eat but I'm not a big like red meat eater and stuff anyway so for me I feel like I could probably like give up some of that pretty easily anyway but um yeah I definitely just made me want to at the very least like make sure I'm more cautious what I'm eating because I I have noticed that like I never noticed that when I was drinking a lot my nutrition obviously but now that I haven't been I, I noticed when like I have a bag of chips how I feel the next day I really you know dragging and almost feel hungover um which I never yeah. noticed that before right like because it was just the booze, but yeah. Yeah. And I think even just, even with water intake, right? Like I feel so much better when I have all that water in me and, you know, um, I don't know about you guys too. Like even just getting, I think my number one thing is getting a good night's sleep. I think that's like my number one thing. If I do not sleep, I'm like a bear coming out of a cave. That's just not good. <laughs> what would you say? Can I kind of turn the tables on you guys is what would be your number one self-care where like, I need to do this. Mine is also sleep. I was journaling about this the other day, actually. Um, and if my sleep is off, I'm off. Absolutely. Yeah. Mine, uh, is sleep for sure. And I haven't been sleeping the greatest for the past like month and a half. And I've been pretty sluggish. Um, so I think, uh, overworking myself sometimes gets me like, just like my mind's just always racing and I'm just, I have trouble going to bed, but, um, yeah, I just, I think I just got to relax a little bit and, uh, get some sleep. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, it's, I always ask the kids is like how to get there. So if your number one thing is sleep, 
it's like, okay, now how am I going to make that plan to get there? And I feel like the first thing I have to do is I got to turn my phone and all my electronics off by nine o'clock. And then by nine 30, I need to be in bed ready so that I can fall asleep by 10 and get my eight hours of sleep. So I guess it's that how to, and when do we want to start that goal? Right. It's kind of like the eating raw. I don't know when that's going to happen. <laughs> all right. So if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, uh, please reach out and get help. Uh, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. And thank you for all you do for our community. Um, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you so much for having me. It's been such a great pleasure. And uh, if I'm out anybody's way, I will be sure to uh, hit you up for a coffee if you make it to my A-list. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you.